When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. The podcast that can tell the Rangers result just from the sieve. This week on Heart and Hand, and this is what they're like after one Rangers win. One! So welcome to Heart and Hand Rangers podcast. My name is David Edgar and I am your host as always. But I'm joined this week by two of my favourite podders, my A-team if you will, because it's first of all Mr Andy McGowan. Hello David, hello listeners. And Mr Alex Staff. Good evening all. So lads, let's get right to it. Um, Scottish football is in meltdown because Rangers have won. And their fans are apparently rampaging through the streets of Ayrshire like uh, angry Visigoths on uh, on tour. And it's as if it's never went away, Andy. It's getting predictable now. It's actually getting so predictable that it's water off a duck's back to me personally. And I think most of the Rangers support are starting to just become relatively immune to it. It's uh, I, I just uh, a tsunami of double standards, hypocrisy. Willful, willful ignorance and uh, undeniable bias. So it's just a tidy kind of stem. Um, it's becoming so ridiculous, actually. I think that people can see through it. Any any reasonable person can see through it. And if you can't see through it, you are one of the problem people, <laughs> so to speak. Alex? I would agree with that. I'm actually just really, really looking forward to how it's going to ramp up. Um, you know, as you pointed out, win-win. Um, a last-minute win against Kelly when everybody thought, ah, same old Rangers as last season, dropping points away at Rugby Park. Can't handle it anymore. They had they had the headlines just waiting, didn't they? They about did. About how uh, Gerard hadn't improved, you know, the team hadn't improved, etc., etc. We get the win. Um, and, uh, yes, um, as I said, the closer and closer we get to 55, I just, I can't wait. It's, it's almost like a social experiment. I want to see exactly what happens because there's no other no other country in the world where it would have been this nuts. No, and, and this is why I, uh, like Andy said, I'm, I'm just a little bored of it and it's why I don't really pay it that much attention anymore. Um, call it numbness, if you like, uh, or irritation fatigue is probably uh, another way of putting it. Um, years ago, when this stuff would start in the media, and you know, I was in the trust, and we would fight back against it, and the argument would go, and it would be a ding-dong. And over the last few years, I've taken a step back, and I've thought, what are we fighting against? Because nobody is neutral. You know, there are no neutrals out there. We, I, I think we used to assume that that's who we were trying to, to get this out to. There are people in Scotland who love us, and there are people in Scotland who hate us, and that's pretty much it. You know, um, there are, I'm sure, people who manage to get through their life without caring about football at all, and best of luck to them, probably more sane than the rest of us. But 
It's exactly the same stuff. Um, Lonely Bill Lecky, our old friend, um, managed to to stop running through the rain in his Converse and Smart shirt for for 20 minutes or so to pen an article he's written 9,000 times about how Rangers are all horrible, proddy bastards and the world should hate them. He's got that in in the chamber. It's loaded and ready to be fired. And... These articles come out when Rangers win because they've got to put a negative slant on it because they have so abased themselves in the eyes of the Rangers support that they don't have that as an audience anymore. So their audience tend to come from one support in the main or at least from supports who have bitten into this, who've fed into the whole Rangers bad mentality of the last decade. But now I'm of the opinion of let them. Right, they're not going to like us, they're not going to change their mind, but with the best will in the world, screw them. It doesn't matter, it's about us. You've got your options to get your media from us, from the club, from other Rangers content. Ignore them. I mean, they're not going to change. And when they start up with their symphony of simple moronicness, then just simply go, you know what, fine, knock yourselves out. Oh, aye, aye, they're singing and stuff. You see it at the weekend, Celtic fans unfurl a banner, uh, containing a certain word, nothing meant, not even mentioned about it. Rangers fans sing a song with the same word. Everyone goes mental. It's the end of the world. Why don't we? Why do we put up with this? Whether Alba, somebody put the children inside. You know all this shit. And I'm just like, you don't care. These people, like etc. They don't care. They've never cared about sectarianism or it's never been an issue to them. It's just who do I need to hit with a stick to get a paycheck? And currently it's Rangers. So if you're a Rangers fan, laugh at them, give them the fingers, enjoy the win and move on. Don't let them upset you. They're trying to upset you. Get about with your life as it is. And that's not to say we're not going to look at things that happened at the end of the game yesterday. Andy was there. Andy, of course, is the convener of the fun bus. And <laughs> we will um, you know, get his take on what was a worrying situation for supporters outside the ground. But... Unlike the majority of the Scottish media, we actually do care about the game of football, so let's get into that. Alex, um, wasn't a great performance. It really wasn't. Uh, let's cards on the table here. But I think the significance of this victory could be enormous because you've already touched on it. This is not a result Rangers proved themselves capable of pulling off last season. And by that, I mean... Uh, playing badly and winning. We we didn't do that very often. Rangers had to play well to get three points last year. That was, I think, one of the problems. If we dropped to um, 60 70%, we tended to drop points. And we couldn't win at Kilmarnock full stop. So psychologically, to lose that late goal, which I think because of the scar tissue of last season, the last few seasons, we were, as a support centre, they're going, they're going to score, they're going to score. They're, I knew it, I knew it. This is what always happened. And then they managed to flip the script. It was nice to see. Um, you, you take those little moments when, when you get a setback, that's what you look for, isn't it, is, is the reaction. Um, last season, I, I was trying to remember, I mean, you gentlemen may um, have a better memory of it than me, but I, I can't think of any game last season, aside from St Johnson away, where we scored a late winner. We scored late goals, but none that were turning one point into three, um, aside from that St Johnson game where we came back from 1-0 down. In the second half, and Mariela scored the two. It, it didn't happen very often, and it was a legitimate question because hell, even Mark Warburton's team was capable of that, right? And um, that's you know, teams do it normally over the course of a season, and the teams that are at the top of the league and, and tend to need to do it find ways to do it, and we weren't able to do that. So that was the biggest positive. The performance itself, I think, if it hadn't came hot in the heels of of progress away, where we rather went through the motions we might not have been quite as negative about it, but um, I'm willing to to slightly overlook it because somehow Kelly have managed to relay their pitch and make it even worse. Yeah, well done I didn't done to expect them. that. I don't know how that happened. Um, and it slowed the game right down, uh, suited them, because obviously they spent the vast majority of the match 30 yards away from their own goal, every, every player behind it, and it was easier to play that way than it was for us to try and move the ball quickly and, and get through them. So, um, yeah, this was one of those ones where one of those games, David, uh, and I said this on the day, they will all say, oh, we'll take a, a rubbish win every time as long as we get the win. We sure as hell don't like living through it, though, do we? 
No, it's not a fun 90 minutes. Uh, well, that's unfair, actually. I thought it was a fun 45. Um, the problem for me, Andy, wasn't the first half. Rangers were fantastic, but we controlled the game. We took the game over. And to me, we built ourselves a, a platform to go on and dominate the game in the second half. We had done the hard work. We'd won control of the places that mattered. But in the second half, we sort of stopped doing that. Best summed up by a moment with about 15 minutes to go where Scott Arfield, James Tavernier, and I think it was uh, Joe Aribo find themselves all standing together, sort of looking at each other, not moving on the right-hand touchline. And to me, Rangers just sort of forgot kind of what they were trying to do a little bit. It wasn't like we were ferociously leaping into tackles to ward them away from our goal 30 yards away from it. It wasn't that. But nor were we streaming forward trying to get the, the victory. I thought Rangers, for want of a better word, with about 20 minutes to go in that second half, looked a little confused. I'm not going to try and say we played well yesterday, but what I will say is that uh, we completely controlled the game. And I think, and this is only my opinion, I may be completely wrong here, but I thought going into the last 20 minutes, because there was a wee bit of discontent in our end um, at the fact that we were kind of taking the foot off the pedal and sitting on the lead. I think we were waiting for them to come out, and they weren't coming out. And the fact, the fact that Jordan Jones and Stewart didn't come on to lay on, especially Jordan Jones, was purely due to the fact that they weren't coming out. And as, for as long as they weren't coming out, I don't think Gerard was sitting there saying, well, we need to take the game to them. I think he was waiting for the moment. They made a change, come, come out to us, and then it would open up things potentially for us. So I think that's where the confusion came. I did feel in the game, in the heat of the moment, um, that we were uh, tempting fate, and, and we, it was proven to be the case. I thought that... The wee incident you were talking about, David, there where it was Jack and Davis and somebody Jack else. Jack and Davis. Uh, yeah, sorry, Jack Davis it's and Tavernier. Aye, and they were basically doing a wee triangle between themselves without any pressure <clears throat> and, and stopped the game, in effect. I thought it was surreal. I thought it was strange. And I think that's why they were thinking, well, we're, we're on top here. You come out on, on us. And that was the pattern for most of the game. We were waiting for command to come out and we were trying to be patient to, to pick them off. And really, the only difference between a, a really comfortable win yesterday and, and the, the actual kind of scrape they got is, I think, a wee bit of quality in the final third. Now, I know that sounds dead obvious for any football team in any football match, but I thought Arfield more often than he should have was lacking in his final layoff, touch, threaded ball, whatever it is, and I know that's a hard thing to do. I thought Greg Stewart would have been better suited to that kind of position yesterday. Um, I thought uh, Ojo was well off the pace and offered very little. These are the kind of players that you're looking to add the wee bit of cutting edge to that overall performance yesterday. Um, I, I, I thought, looking back now, you know, I wouldn't have said this after the game yesterday, but looking back and having watched it again last night and watched the highlights again today, I thought there was a foundation there that we should be pretty comfortable about and it was only a matter of cutting edge and I'm hoping that, that that comes with the players we've got or potentially with somebody else to come in. Alex, uh, Andy touched upon something there, um, which was that yesterday our, our front line didn't really work. Uh, I thought Morelos, especially in the first half, did really well. I thought he battered the Kilmarnock defenders, but he didn't receive much support. Scott Arfield got the goal, but it wasn't one of his better games. I think Scott Arfield has come back tired from his exertion with Canada in the Gold Cup, and we're maybe waiting on him um, getting fully back up to speed from that. Ojo, not the first player to go to that park and think, what the f is this uh, that I've wandered onto? It's, it's the size of a postage stamp and it, it, it appears to be made out of sand and green bays. But um, neither of them really contributed much. Alfie got more and more, uh, uh, I thought, lost a, a little bit because they were so far away from him. Something, though, that, that was a problem, but... I'm going to turn that negative into a positive, as uh, they tell you to do in seminars these days. And that's, uh, we saw the solution to it late in the game, which was, I didn't like the balance of the midfield. I thought that Joe uh, Aribo was too deep far too often. I don't want to see him coming back and taking balls off the toes of, of Goldson and Katic. But when he pushed forward, and Rangers did get the, the, the balance, and maybe it was in desperation, but Two shots that forced two superb stops. Already something that we can see he's got in his locker that we didn't have last season. 
Yeah, this is going to be a bugbear for a lot of people over the course of the season because it's pretty clear um, that we are using our midfield free to shield the two centre-halves, which will allow the two full-backs to get forward and allow the forward free to stay higher up the pitch. That's supposed to be the plan. The issue being that when you're playing on a pitch that slow and you have to get... Because ultimately we want to get the ball in quick to guys like Arfield and Ojo and isolate them, you know, not not have six or seven players between them and, and the opposing goal, you know, cut that down, get them 1v1 situations and things like that. That's why the game suited Morelos a bit more than it would have somebody like Defoe, for example, um, who would have been about link-up play, whereas Morelos being the battering ram that he is, was loving that pitch because the ball was holding up everywhere and he was able just to get his body in the way and, and kind of be quite effective. Um, so, yeah, all of that's the reasons why I'm not too too critical of it yesterday. I don't feel as though the game was a fair reflection on, on how we're going to try and be. But the midfield thing is going to be an issue because we are very much using them to shield. It's how we finished last season, you know, with Kamara, Jack and Davis as the three. And, and none of the three are naturally, Davis more so than the others, but he plays deeper now, naturally attacking players now. Uh, they can do a job there, but they're, they're mainly there to let the other five, the two fullbacks in the and the three forwards do their job. So I've got a funny feeling this midfield debate is going to come up more than once, David. Aribo at least offers, at least he offers both. There was times yesterday where he was just snatching in, you know, just tracking back and snatching in, taking the ball off people when they were trying to hit us in the break, and he made it look so simple. Um, he doesn't dive into tackles. He just stands up, waits for the guy to, you know, complete whatever fanning yeah. he's going to do, and then takes the ball. Yeah, it just it, some of it looked so simple. It was no. like, oh, yeah, it was. It was just too easy. And then, you know, as you say, very unlucky. This, the first shot, obviously, a bit of luck for it to fall to him. I thought, I actually thought he could have hit that a bit better. But the second one, he must have. He was almost wheeling away in celebration. That was a cracking save, which obviously led to the, the second goal. Um, but uh, but yeah, the I think this is going to come up a lot. Um, we've already got people saying that. You know, um, we can't be playing both Davis and Jack in these games. We played our best football last season with, with the Davis Jack Kamara free. Um, I just think that, you know, we need to, it's hard to judge in the moment, and maybe that'll prove to be the case. But uh, maybe yesterday was the sort of game Greg Dockett he needed to be involved in with the way that pitch was. Forget was about the passing, just back or through people. Surprised not to at least see him on the bench yesterday, if I was being uh, honest, because I, I thought we could have done with that option. As you say, somebody will just get the ball and go, right, I'm going with it and it, it won't be pretty and uh, what I would also offer in evidence was Jordan Jones when he came on I thought he did make a difference because look Jordan Jones is the type he's not going to glide past players he gets a ball and he runs at them and quite a lot of the time the ball's going to bounce off them and go out for a throw or they're going to take it off them I get that but one that forces the defence back because they know he's going to do it constantly and secondly um, it's when he does get through that he causes problems, and I thought that that direct play, you know, not the link up the which the better players, the Arfields and the the Ojos will do, but I, I thought that direct, um, if you like, straightforward, a little bit more um, blood and toil than it is skill and insight was maybe what was needed yesterday. Andy, we gave away a terrible goal which we did, um, stupid free kick, the gaffer alluded to it, uh, knocked in back post, defence gets under it, and uh, Alfredo Morelos loses his man, good finish from from uh, the fullback O'Donnell, but I will give Rangers credit from that, because I saw a few times last season, and this really disappointed me, and you know it's on old pods folk, if you want to go back and listen to it, that there were games, and I can think of a couple against Kilmarnock, that when we got to the last... 10, 15 minutes, even the last five of these matches, we had sort of given up that we didn't think we were going to score. Whereas yesterday we forced two great stops from the goalkeeper and get the winner. Uh, that pleased me. And I'm not saying it would have pleased me had we not got the winner, but it, it would have in the cold light of day at least been better than... I think last season the team had a tendency to meekly accept its fate that it didn't mm-hmm. yesterday. That's absolutely right. Last, last season... Um, we, we lost belief pretty easily to be quite honest with you and if we lost a goal with 10 minutes to go in these circumstances like most of last season there was no way we come back for it. I mean was it half an hour ago the, the, the first game at Kermarnock the first game of 2019 at Kermarnock when we the equaliser they scored the same yeah, yeah. we had half an hour to do something and nothing happened um, 
But what, what I would say is, I think the key thing this year, and it's something I've been harking on about because me, you, Alex, we are, we are uh, old enough to remember Richard Goff challenging his fellow centre-half to a goal challenge, basically, to see how many goals in a season they can get. Um, and we've liked that. And I've always thought that if you're going to be a genuine table-challenging team, games like this can sometimes be decided by a, a good set-piece, a good free-kick, a sheer will in the box. And that's what we got yesterday. We got good delivery when it counted. And we got the sheer raw aggression between Katic and Golson, which our good friend Kurt Broadfoot and Finlay could not handle. And, and that proved to be the winner. So I was absolutely delighted to see us score two goals that were basically set pieces because even on Thursday against Niederkorn... Um, I never want to hear that name ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That was, that was just the worst game of football. And I'm glad we're through and we did what we had to do and I wasn't as overtly critical as anybody else. But for part of this, for the site, folks, I have to watch the games back. And that watching that set... That, the second time round was appalling. Especially the first 45 minutes. Oh. Um, and I get what, what they were doing. Incidentally, they were conserving energy for the bigger game at the weekend. And Alex, I think you and I um, both commented this last week where we said uh, we won't judge the, the Niederkorn result until the Kilmarnock one comes in because it was just about getting through. And if we get through and get three points on Sunday, then all good. Um Let's let you know. Let let's move on, kind of thing. Concerns though that maybe Rangers are a little bit lacking in that final third. You touched on it yourself. Um, I get the impression from Shea Ojo that he is a bit of a, a kind of mercurial player. That he's not a constantly involved a la Arfield guy. He's more the type that will spend large parts of the match not really contributing, but is capable of doing the really special things that are hopefully the match-winning things. Does that sound like a fair appraisal? Well, yeah, um, at the moment it does. Um, I think that the biggest issue he's got right now is that Ryan Kent finished the season so well and he's kind of replacing him. And, um, you know, you've got all the similarities, don't you, coming in alone from Liverpool, etc. We can't seem to get Ryan Kent back as things stand. But if people really cast their mind back to the start of last season, Kent had more than a few performances as well where... He seemed on the, the kind of edge of the game and, and was a bit frustrating. Um, you know, with him in the team, we never managed to beat Kelly in the league. So, you know, it wasn't as though um, he was, you know, losing him was this huge difference. He wasn't much of a goal scorer either at that stage. Um, and you kind of hoped if we were to bring him back that everything would improve that way. Ojo looks... So far, I've been impressed by him for the most part so far. But you obviously, uh, yesterday, I think you were right, David. I don't think he had any clue what the hell was going on with that pitch. Um, and, you know, it's his first taste of Scottish football, really. So uh, he's not going to be the first or last player to take a few games to get used to that, is he? Uh, I think he? I think you described it once in one of the post-match pods, David. He's going to be a player that will frustrate many people because he'll do next to nothing in a game and then pop up with an absolute peachy goal. Um Kind of what he done in the progress home game uh, mm-hmm. to many extent. To many uh, extent, so he's uh, yeah. I think he's he's burdened by the the comparisons to Kent, where the you know the Kent that we had by the end of the season was much better than the one that started it. And you have to hope that Ojo will do the same. Andy, you mentioned their centre backs. Now um, Nico Katic got the header for the Scott Arfield's goal and then of course Conor Goldson with a uh, brilliant header if if you are you know sort of my generation then that is what you love it was a centre back shrugging off um, uh, an egg fetishist twat to I'm getting that you know <laughs> and when I get there I'm going to put everything onto it and there's no way it goes right past the keeper in terms you know it's just too powerful it was a great header a good proper old centre half gothy and header but um, I've been really, really impressed with Nico Katic this preseason, and maybe, and I'll hold my hand up to this, maybe I'm one of these guys who just likes him, and I know there's a lot of Rangers fans do, but I think he's turning in really decent performances, and yesterday again, I thought he was probably the pick of the defenders. I uh, I played Katic for the first moment I saw him, I thought he'd a bit about him, I think mentally and... How can I put it? The old winning mentality that Sunish used to talk about. He has that in abundance. I think he's got the the mindset to play for a big club. And 
I think he knows he's got a challenge in his hand because obviously there's four top centre-halves now that are going to be vying for positions here. Uh, and I think that he's trying to give himself a unique selling point in that he is by far and away our most dangerous defender, probably our most dangerous player altogether in the opposition box at set-pieces. And it goes back to what I was saying a wee minute ago about set-pieces and their, their importance for breaking deadlocks and games like that. That could be the deciding factor that if, if all four are fit, and uh, Gerard has to make a decision. He may be sitting there saying, "Well, Katic could be useful in these positions because defensively we might not get tested that much today." But at the other end, it's going to be stuffy. It's going to be tight. We need a wee bit more in our armory for for these kind of things. So I I, I thought last season goals and Katic at the start of the year were pretty good and dovetailed together for a couple of players that just joined Rangers and hadn't played together before. I thought they were pretty fantastic all through the early European rounds. And I think Waddle came in and there was a definite difference in dynamic in the centre-halves. Um, so I, I have no concerns about Cattage whatsoever here, now, in the future. Um, and I think it's a very, very good problem we've got in that we've got four good centre-halves because Edmondson impressed against uh, um, that team you don't like to mention. And uh, you're not going to spend three and a half million on a, a Swedish international centre-half and they'll not be competent. So we have got... Extreme strength and depth for the first time in that position for a long, long time, and that can all be a good thing. Alex, um, you mentioned it there, Andy mentioned it there that we've got this competition for places in that back four, and already I think we're seeing slightly different strength. I'd suggest that Goldson is pretty much nailed on for a place. You know, yeah. Stephen Gerrard speaking yesterday, and I'm not debating folks whether or not that's right. I'm just saying this is what I think is the case, which he said he's a vice-captain for a reason, he's a leader, um, and I thought, yeah, he's he's playing, and it's him plus one, generally. We'd assume it would be Hellander, because the money that was spent on him, but even already, we haven't seen much of Hellander, so he's hard to judge, but uh, Edmondson looks as though he's a bit quicker than the other two in terms of the recovery tackle, and a better user of the ball, so... It looks that it could well be a horses for courses job here because there will be games where you're not as concerned about the defensive side of things, but you need somebody that can bring the ball out quickly from the back, which would seem to favour Edmondson. You might look at games and think that we're going to be right up against it today, so we need the guys that are the best the best defenders, etc., etc. It's a lot of options, maybe in a position that we are not as a support kind of used to having options. We are generally, they're the first two and then they're the, the backup. Yeah, and we kind of, and then what? What then? What happens when one of the the first two is injured or suspended? We all have a collective uh, shite in ourselves, don't we? Get into any sort of game because because we've got to bring in whoever. So, um, well, then again, you know, it's not that long ago that even our first two had this collectively shite in ourselves quite a bit. Um, yes, it's it's nice to see. I think what people, I I don't know if if it's maybe just ourselves, if it's Scottish football fans in general. Um, we don't. We've never really got used to this idea of rotation at centre half. Uh, it's never been something that was done in the past. And even when rotation did kick in, even when Walter Smith had a team that he rotated a bit, he tended to try and ask his centre halves to play sixty games a season together. Um, and then you look at somebody like Gerrard's trying to emulate Liverpool. Right? He's trying. He, he knows he's never going to get a team here that's going to be as good as that. But he wants to have that mindset, that elite mindset at Rangers. And you look at them, and it's pretty much just Van Dyke and whichever one of the three is fit available. You know, it's never Matip, uh, Gomez, and well, it was Lovren. They they rotated a fair bit. It was never you know a set two. Um, that's a team that just won the Champions League. This notion that you need to have a set centre-half pairing or a set back four to, to succeed. It's no longer really the case. Uh, Goldson's nailed on for the most part. I don't think we'll be asking Goldson to play 60 games again this season, though. Um, I think we'll get the odd game where we're confident enough that he can be rested uh, and, you know, bring in, say, start with Katic and Herlander, for example, once Herlander's up to speed. Uh, the best part about Katic, you were just pointing out, playing so well, and he has stepped up, I think, um, and improved even more, it means that the £3.5 million defender doesn't need to be rushed in, and that's going to help a lot. We know that we've got, we've already got good options there. It's not like last season where we spent a couple of million pounds on Grejda, who wasn't fit, he wasn't ready. Jamie Murphy was injured, we'd sold Windass, and we almost felt as though we had to throw him in the minute he was fit, and it didn't work didn't work for him and all the pressure was on him because he was a big signing 
we don't need to do that with Hellander and it gives him a bit of time to get fit and get set which is not a position we've been in very often when we've made money signings in, in recent years No, no that is true and uh, you're right he can adapt before we're really needing to use him week in week out which is, which is always handy Andy, you were at the match yesterday, um, as mentioned, Andy is a bus convener and uh, always interested in how fans are treated at the game um, from that organisational point of view as well. So it's fair to say Andy takes, even if we're on the mill game, a wee bit more interest in things like policing, stewarding, ticketing, etc., not that you could have avoided it yesterday because there were some very frightening scenes outside the ground. Um, Kilmarnock's ticketing system failed. Uh, they have a new ticketing system and it failed. And it led to some rather chaotic scenes outside in which I think it's fair to say Kilmarnock panicked, Andy. Aye, I, I don't know. Well, I'll tell you what. How many games have I been in my life? And yesterday there was something happened that I hadn't seen before and even caught the attention of my seven-year nephew because a flood of people came in during the game and you ask yourself, what's harmed? What's going on? And then they stand there and they can't, they're not going to their seats. The, the student's totally overwhelmed and you've actually got a situation where the stadium is well behaved given that you've got 4,000 bears in the place, but it's actually a wee bit of organised chaos and it's on the, the cusp of being disorganised and that's not a good position to be in and it, it points to wider problems which I'm going to be quite honest with you and I'll sound like a fucking uh, jobs worth here you're right, I, I, if I see something wrong at the that I think is potentially dangerous, I raise it to the official, I raise it to the police and I get he back to him because he does, he writes because letters and he goes and sees them <laughs> no he does I, 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 I send emails to the police and the reason I do it is because we know where the cost of uh, lack of safety at grounds is. We know that. And I'm not going to put myself and my family and people I love at risk because people um, in charge of football clubs and uh, stewarding and the policing don't understand it. Football fans understand what happens at football grounds. They get a sense for what's happening. They get a sense for way, way, the way it should be and the kind of collective thought is sometimes the only thing that stops things like yesterday tipping into a real problem. So I, I, was, the, I was outside, obviously, for the turnstile, but I didn't get caught up because we know that Kilmarnock is a bad place for, for arriving at the ground late. And I've often got tickets I've got to meet people for, and it's a pain in the ass because I've got to say, listen, you need to be there early because I want to get in, because if I don't get in, I'm going to miss kick-off. Mm. But yesterday was worse. And... Um, I mean, alarm bells start ringing when you, you walk to a turnstile with your ticket, you hand it through the wee turnstile back to the person in there, and they've got a mobile phone with an app on it scanning the barcode. Mm. And you're thinking, oh, how the fuck is that going to work? But I'm going to tell you a story, a very quick story. September 2017, I wrote to the police, I emailed the chief inspector at Glasgow because at Party Thistle, the exact same thing happened. And there was a crush. And the only thing that stopped a crush turning into something bad was a good, sensible and the good will and the good kind of humour of the Rangers fans that night, because they were sitting there waiting to miss kickoff. And I don't know, but we don't get much credit, but the Rangers fans have to take credit time and again for being put in those positions, because it happens at Pataudry. It happens at uh, Motherwell sometimes. It's not an isolated incident. And the, the authorities, because I went back to the police and I said, right, Partick Thistle, um, that's the second time it's happened. Do you know share information? Because this happened at Pataudry. Because it's maybe Police Scotland, is it not? And they say, yeah, we share information, share information. Clearly not, because it happened again yesterday. And what happened yesterday differently? The Rangers fans took it in their own hands and they opened the gates and they stole whatever they thought was going to happen happening. Now, what's worrying me now is that the, the media rhetoric is uh, running with a fucking disabled roof getting smashed and our fans being on the pitch, as opposed to the bigger picture here, which is Scottish football policing, stewarding, uh, ticketing system and planning is no fit for purpose and somebody's going to get seriously hurt. I was here yesterday with um, a 71-year-old dad, my 7-year-old nephew and my pregnant wife, right? So I'm in a position to feel a wee bit defensive about this because 
Um, these games aren't safe anymore. My, my feather knocked to our last game, the, uh, the last game at Commander last year. Yesterday, we scored the goals and my concentration was making sure that me and my, my, my nephew didn't get fucking smashed. Um, the, the fans have got to take a wee bit of responsibility as well because they are going over the score a wee bit. But the reason they're going over the score is, I've often said to you and Jess that football matches are an organised uh, school trip for adults. And if you give some of them an inch, they'll take a mile. And that's just the nature of things. And it's doing to um, the police and the stewarding to make sure that there's a balance. Safe standing has to get introduced as soon as possible because what we've got just now is unsafe standing. Nowhere are you going to Scotland we sit down. Does any away same for Celtic? Any away support generally it doesn't sit down. So what happens is you've got a position where it's not actually safe. I want to stand at the football. I want it to be safe at the same time. Um, this is a major problem, and I'll flap bump my gums as long as you want. But somebody's got to start listening. What concerns me a little bit uh, about the reaction because I think Andy's covered, and we all know. Alex, why this is appalling? Um, yeah. Because we don't need to look far back into the sands of time to to see what can happen. Um, and you're never far, unfortunately, from tragedy if it's not managed correctly. What disappoints me is there's still this knee-jerk reaction from the media and people in authority to blame the supporters. It's the same every single time. Um and they focus on that rather than just accept the responsibility. So, well, you opened a gate. Well, yeah, because there was feels there was going to be a crush. No, 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 no. You did it so people could get in for free. <sighs> Come on. Seriously. Uh, why does it have to be adversarial? Why can't you just say, all right, you know, this went wrong and this is what we should have dealt with it? Why the, the tribalism? Why the immaturity? Seems to be the default setting, doesn't it? It's not about... I don't mind um, opposing clubs or opposing fans having, you know, a dislike for Rangers, but it goes beyond that. And then that then becomes, I think we've spoken about this before and people think we're overreacting, but I, I'm not one for that, David. I think I think that's fair to say. I don't think Andreas, I don't think you are either. Yeah. Well, they're dehumanising. The Rangers fans, especially away crowd, are very much just this this group of supposed Neanderthals, right? I mean, they've actually been described as that before by people, right? Uh, they're not really treated as people. It's this troublesome, before they've even done anything wrong, they're criminals. And it's, um, and that's how, that's you know, that's the attitude towards them. So the problem we've got, it's not, you know, no one's going to hold their hands up when the Big Bad Rangers fans were in any way involved because it's clearly the Big Bad Rangers fans' fault every single time. I think we'll obviously come on to a couple of things. We're willing to to accept that a couple of things where there was luck involved a lot yesterday, uh, that, that there wasn't something serious happened. And I think everybody has to acknowledge that. Um, you know, the Rangers trying to take their side of it, but Kilmarnock have to as well. They have to, and the media should be pressing them to do that. Um, as Andy says, you know, open that gate up. That wasn't a Kilmarnock decision. That was an absolute necessity or something bad's going to happen here. Um the, the roof to the disabled section. Now, you know, the, the the nonsense idea that it was deliberately destroyed, right? Let's 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 get that doesn't even deserve a no. It doesn't even deserve a response, right? It doesn't. I mean that was obviously not the case. But neither do I think, you know, I, I'll admit that, you know, kinda of ignorance of it or not malice isn't much of a defence either. But I'll tell you what, having seen the footage, because obviously I just seen the you know the aftermath of it, I never noticed it at the time. Having seen the footage since that's not a roof. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, Do you know it's what I mean? That's, that, that, that's um, like for it to fall through with as little happening on it as was happening. That's uh, that was you know again. I, I'm happy for, for for everybody to be able to take responsibility there for people to say you know there was people that shouldn't have been doing that and we're fine with that. But Commander have to be able to, and it turns out that you know they were warned over a year ago. Um, about the, the problems of this, and they were told that before the public were to use it, it should be replaced. And that never happened, and there you go. It was just sheer luck that someone wasn't seriously hurt yesterday. Um, and absolutely everybody um, has to be able to hold their hands up and say that. There's, but, you know, as you pointed out, as Andy pointed out, it's just um, nobody needs to take responsibility if Rangers are involved. And involved. It just falls on us every single time. Yeah, and that's David, it. Let's get a deal free card. See, the thing is, and this is what's getting missed, 
It's the responsibility of the football clubs, the police and the stewarding and the licensing of the stadiums because if you're risk assessing a football match, it is available that there'll be folk there with drink in them. It is available that there'll be folk there with fake tickets striking. It's available that there'll be folk there with drugs. It's available that there'll be folk there with smoke bombs. That is a fact of life in terms of having football supporters in any one place, especially in the numbers we carry. It is therefore their responsibility to mitigate for that, prevent it from happening, and make sure that I'm safe. It's just like saying a pub, you've got to have a factor in the, the fact that folk are going to be drunk and, and some might like to fight or some might have a knife or whatever. It's a licensing issue as well as the police and the student and the clubs. I think Kill have shut themselves. I think they have actually thought to themselves, we've made a complete and utter balls up of this yesterday because I think things have come out even today about the, the council having looked at it previously. Um, I think there's a lot of questions about Somebody has got to take responsibility. And if we get fined for it, that is one thing, but you, you can't have a total uh, responsibility put on the fact that Rangers have had some fans that, that pushed the envelope too far because they were allowed to. This is a licensed environment. They shouldn't have allowed to. That's not done to us. It's the old uh, trial by sports scenes kicked right off as well, uh, by the way, because, um, and you know, look, maybe I'm being over. I, I don't think I'm overreacting. Maybe I am. They went out of their way to highlight, you know, what was it, part of the commentary, wasn't it? And their, their highlights was get those idiots off the pitch or something like that. Mm. Um, Aberdeen fans ran onto the pitch when they scored their 85th minute winner against Hearts yesterday. You wouldn't have known that from BBC's highlights. You no. they, they very quickly cut away from the celebrations just to show you a couple of replays of the goals and then suddenly the highlights were done, right? But there was Aberdeen fans on the pitch. Now, I, I don't actually have... I, if you're celebrating the last-minute winners, it happens, and I don't really have a major issue with people running on the pitch. I think it's gotten a little bit ridiculous up here, personally, and that all stemmed from when Hibs done it, and then there's been a bit of a reaction to that. See, this is my take with it, right? and just, just on the thing, a couple of, of points. Firstly, that disabled section at Kilmarnock is a disgrace, um, and it's appalling that disabled supporters are putting something like that. Uh, and they were warned by East Ayrshire Council that has come out today, um, they did know about it. They need to deal with it. They need to be held responsible. But don't dance on a roof, right? I mean, even if you think it, it's safe and it should be safe for you, don't just don't do it. And I get, oh, it's the heat of the moment. Okay, but just just don't, right? The pitch invasion stuff, I, I, I'm going to sound like a grumpy old man here. See this? Oh, it's the heat of the moment. No, it isn't. I've been going to football for 30 years, right? This is a recent thing that's creeping out. And not at Rangers, not just at Rangers. It's happened at quite a few other clubs. You used to see it once in a blue moon and it would be a massive result or a huge game or a really tense game. And that I got, right? That's hysteria. People get caught up in it. I've been at Rangers away games the last wee while where people have been talking about doing it, you know, after an hour. <laughs> if we get one, right, we're going on. Uh, it's become a thing. Um, among the young team, the very young team, incidentally, I mean here, you know, the the kind of the, the, the very young teenagers. It's a daft boy thing, and we need to treat it like that. That means not saying, oh, well, it's going to happen. It's not. It doesn't need to happen. It didn't for years. It doesn't. You can celebrate. You can go mental in the stands, incidentally. I mean, the, the last Old Firm game, uh, uh, sorry, the, the first Old Firm game at Ibrox last season, when Rangers scored, I ended up about 40 feet away from where I was to start with. But... It was I, I I wasn't on the pitch. Nobody was. You don't need to do it, but it's become a thing. Look, I was on the pitch. I got my photo taken. Social media, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we need to be growing up about it and say, look, it's mainly youngsters. Let's just get them told it can't happen. Don't do it, and it will stop. We need to stop it being a fashionable thing. It's the happy slapping of football crowds at the moment, uh, and I don't. I do think there's a bit of a kind of look-at-me element to it than that. But you cannot take these two incidents and then say, which means it was entirely all the fault of Rangers supporters, typical, um, we knew it, let's move on. You can't do that because eventually someone is going to get badly hurt. And when that happens, it's the responsibility of, of the football club involved. It's the responsibility of the police. It's the responsibility of the stewards. This is your job. 
whether or not you think it's fair, that is what your responsibility is. That's what you signed up for. And you have, as Andy pointed out, a duty of care to the people that are in that stadium. Will some people in a crowd of 10,000 yesterday maybe be a bit arseholish, maybe be a bit drunk? Yes. Will the majority? Not even close. And therefore, you have to treat everyone with respect. If there are people that are hell-bent on causing trouble, and I don't believe there are, then get them out. If there are people who are a bit daft, then let's get them told, don't do that. And let's not treat absolutely everything like the world is ending. Mm -hmm. Because the reaction to that just gets people's back up. It encourages the other clowns. And this is why sports scene, I think, is so pernicious. Because it encourages other fans to think, oh, it's just Rangers fans, and dehumanise them. As you said, Alex, it's typical of that scum. It's fed by the national broadcaster, and that's pathetic, and it, and it absolutely has to stop. Okay then, folks, uh, moving on then, uh, before we, we go any Oh, incidentally, by the way, just on the hypocrisy of the press, today the front page of the Daily Record had an article titled, uh, the headline said, Mayhem and included uh, criticism and uh, horror at yet another pitch invasion. That's a quote. At the top of the page, they were advertising a magazine they were giving away, which was called Pitch Invader. <laughs> Honestly, it's like something from a from the Daily Mash. Yes. It is, it, and that shows you the rank hypocrisy of the media in Scotland. And that's before you get to... Uh, the Holocom PR piece on Saturday with uh, Scott Brown, in which he, I don't know if anyone saw this, in which he said he would like uh, a gay player to, to come out at Celtic so he could support him. And I thought, I wonder if Scott Brown's the type that walks up to old ladies in the street and goes, do you need to cross that road? No, son, I was just, oh, no, come on, hen. No, no, son, seriously, I just, I, I need to stay over here. You're getting all that fucking road, right? It'll be great. So uh, there, there's going to be some pressure, I think, putting a, a Celtic player this week to... Make a big announcement, <laughs> particularly when he was planning to do. But um, it, it's that sort of vapid nonsense that passes for journalism these days that leads to this crap and I think is very unhelpful in the circumstances. But um, let's move on to Thursday night then, Andy. Off to Denmark. Tough game, um, but Rangers have been offered... Uh, I think a reasonable route into the Europa League group stage this time because if we win this, we've avoided the, the Serie A and the English clubs. And uh, if we were to get through this, we'll play either Legia Warsaw, a good side but struggling at the moment in Poland, or uh, is it Ametronos? Um, I'll, I'll do. Oh, well, it's <laughs> um, not easy. None of these games would be easy, but not impossible. No. The last word in the pitch invasion is that uh, if you see me on the pitch, you'll know it's time to party. That's for sure. Oh, I'm going on the pitch at 55. I'm a hypocritical twat, I admit that. Um, and I'll just tell you just now, cops. Um, but <laughs> but I'll promise not to do it if we score a goal, even in the last minute against you know Hibs. But uh, no, 55, forget it. All bets are off. Even if I'm not at the game, I'll be on the pitch. Trust me. <laughs> uh, so back to Europe. Yep, yeah. this is. Um... This is something, this route to the group stages is something we should be looking at and saying that is what we are capable of. This should not be beyond us. It's going to be tough. I think we've got a very tough tie in Denmark, to be perfectly honest with you, before we can even start thinking about uh, Poland or Greece. I think um, Midtjylland have kind of uh, built their reputation over a couple of years. They've uh, got a bit of money behind them. They play in a competitive league, which is probably of a similar standard, probably better than our own. And the start of the season a wee bit earlier on us, which always makes me wary of of teams for Scandinavia because they're, they're just that wee bit sharper and further along the line than us. So I think we've got a, 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 a problem, but I think we've got a, a major task on Thursday to, uh, to make sure that we come back to Ibrooks with a, a real fighting chance. I would take any draw. Give me a wee goal, I'll bite your hand off just now. I think... Um, I actually think, as Gerard has alluded to, that the fact we're playing against a team away from home first and a team that probably expects to... They're probably sitting there thinking, well, we need to get a couple of goals up to take to Ibrox because they'll know Ibrox could be formidable. But um, I think it'll be an interesting game. I think um, I think we're, we're looking pretty good in terms of 
playing away from home and the three midfielder thing you're talking about there uh, earlier on at the top of the show, David and Alex was, I think that suited to Europe because it just gives you that added dimension of uh, protection and then it allows your your three forwards and then potentially your your, your one of your your fullbacks to overlap. I think that's ideal for away from home. So I don't know if you'll change the team much. I'll be interested to see if you change it much for that team uh, for yesterday. Um, but the thing is, you've got options now. You could bring in Kamara, you could bring in uh, Stuart, you know, Stuart Jones for about a counter-attack and pace. Um, I, I'm, I'm confident, but I think it's going to be very, very tough. And then if we get through, I think we can beat either Legia or uh, your Greek team that you just uh, so finely pronounced, David. The, the Greek lads, yeah. <laughs> uh, as, as they will be known on this show. Alex, if there's one thing I want to see from a Rangers team away from home in Europe, and uh, over the years, and I'm talking excellent Rangers sides as well, but over the years, I haven't seen enough. And that's, don't be frightened of the football. Treat it with a bit of love when you get it. Because too often in Europe, we can be guilty of hot potato. Yes. Um, do we all remember, uh, certainly during the Manchester run, the Sporting Lisbon away game, where about 20 minutes in, we looked like a properly good team keeping the ball. And I think mm. every one of us was like, what the hell's going on here? Because um, we're oh, so we've had, we've had great players over the years, but we've gone away from home and just haven't retained the ball the way we would normally whether it's the heightened expectations whether it's but I always think you know it's different in Europe you give the ball away if you're Rangers in the SPFL you'll get it back pretty sharpish let's be honest more often than not you give it away in Europe you might not see it for five minutes yeah but interesting with this one though because um the teams in Denmark um that league's quite physical as well uh plays a bit like the Scottish league Andy was right in saying, you know, a bit, bit more depth there, a bit more competition there. But, uh, but you know, they are quite the, the teams there are based upon their, their kind of physical attributes as well. So, in some respects, that that's an interesting draw for us. I, I'm not sure. I haven't seen an awful lot of them. I've been trying, you know, get highlights and stuff since we drew them um, because I was pretty confident of beating progress. But. Uh, I've not seen a lot, if I'm honest. Uh, people that I trust describe them as slightly better than Osiek, but not as good as Maribor, um from last season. But we had to play, if we're honest, we had to play well to beat Maribor. We had to have a really we good game. We had to play Maribor. really well to beat Maribor, and then Alan McGregor had to play like Superman. Yeah, no, we, like, we got a bit of luck, yeah, if we're honest. Um, nine, I think it's, what, is it nine away games for, for Gerard now in Europe? There's been two wins, Osiek away, which... On reflection, good battling win, but you know we, we carried some luck in that one in then St Joseph's. Um, so there's a little bit still to be proven there. I know we've had some good performances. The, the result away, for example, uh, to Villarreal was a cracker. Um, and I know that you know it's, it's harsh because most of those draws have been you know good results on the face of it because they've got us through the qualifier. But uh, but yeah, there's still a little bit to if we feel as though we want to be in a strong position from the first leg. Still a little bit to be proven that we're able to go and do that. Um, like Andy, I don't know what he's going to do with the team. Um, plenty of options to rotate, but I don't know if there'll be too many changes. Can't imagine Can't imagine a rebo dropping out, can you, for example? Um, no. Unless, see... only for tactical purposes. Yeah. I, I, I could maybe see, and this is maybe a bit out of left field, I could maybe see the uh, Jack Davis Kamara with Aribo playing on the left hand side. Yeah, where uh, Arfield was. Yeah, where Arfield um, was and uh, possibly even Arfield on the right, yeah. Or or Ojo and, and Morelos, but I definitely I think it will be the guys who, you know there will be the don't give anything away mentality yeah. will kick in. Yeah, yeah, technically yeah. Um try I think we will try and as you say keep possession better than we have before and, and keep the ball and stuff. Um, try to try to dominate the game that way, uh, and then hopefully, hopefully they, they don't seem to score a lot of goals at the moment. Um, they're not letting many in, but they're not scoring many either. Suggests it could be a tight game. Any sort of result that keeps us in it, bringing them back to Ibrox. Well, we've proven at least you know we've had a few very very strong European performances at Ibrox under Gerard. Um, so we we at least know we've got some confidence there, um, and also the carrot of a good draw. Um, I, I think Andy mentioned right at the start of the programme about you know that attitude, that belief when we went one each against Kelly. 
Um, and uh, you know, last season, as you as you pointed out, David, there was times where if it was like that in the last ten minutes, we sort of just accepted it. Uh, and I think part of that was because I'm not sure the squad ever truly believed they could win the league. Mm. And then this season, I think they maybe do. And then they've seen Celtic win comfortably on the Saturday, and they're looking at dropping points this early. And there was both a kind of there's this notion behind in their heads of we can win this thing, and then that becomes we better win this game, you know. <laughs> Um, and, and that can be a, a driving factor. The fact that we made the Europa League last season could be a big thing here, where our team just has that little bit of extra belief of, no, do you know what, we are capable of getting through this. This isn't a, a you know, a, a tie that we are not... This isn't Villarreal, for example, where we got two draws off them last season. Um, then if Villarreal were playing Michelin in, in the qualifiers, they wouldn't be worried about it uh, in the way that we are. <laughs> um, for for decent reason, but we matched them for the most part last season. So, so yeah. Um, God, it's really really tight, isn't it? It's just even not knowing that much about them, just all the history. I mean, just performances away from home in Europe mm. does make you wonder how this is going to go. No, I'm looking for. I'd rather be in it than not. Um, yes. Put it that way. So no, I'm looking forward to it. Now, uh, this is today. If you're listening to this when it drops, our ninth birthday. Here at Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. Yes, nine. And what a journey it's been from a few idiots sitting round a table in my kitchen to the fully flung independent media empire you see before you today. <laughs> um, and with that in mind, if you want to continue to help us grow and you aren't already, then why not think about becoming a subscriber? Go to our Patreon site. Uh, that's patreon.com forward slash heart and hand. That's uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash heart and hand, where you will get tons and tons and tons of new Rangers content. You will love it. You will be like a child in a Rangers related sweetie store. It's just one ninety nine per month to start that and you will love it please go sign up help us continue to grow but lads um as it is our ninth birthday the english transfer window closes on thursday and i think therefore there's a suspicion that a few things for a lot of clubs will be done this week because english clubs will be making decisions if i could say to you doesn't need to be a specific player maybe just a position but if you were to to receive a, a birthday present for our ninth birthday what would you like to see coming into the squad this week, Andy? Another striker. Another striker. Well, we've we've got two good ones. I know that, and uh, the reason I want another, I would like another striker, is um, I'm a great believer that you can never have enough firepower uh, in a in a league campaign, and uh, I think we will look back at uh, title-winning teams we've had. With a Jelovic, with a Perso, you can argue with a Morelos. Um, I just feel that this season will be decided by firepower. And I think Celtic, I think yesterday was, I don't think you can read into St. Johnson games. St. Johnson are absolute shit this weather. Um, I just think that we could do a wee bit more uh, option, one more option up front. And I'm being greedy here. Right. But if you told me would I want Ryan Kenbank or would I want a really good multi-million pound striker, I'd probably take the latter. Alex? Um, funnily enough, I'd probably take the former. Uh, uh, but uh, but yeah, that's where I would I would kind of fall um, I kind of wide forward. I'm looking suddenly at the options there. I, I, kind of, I think we all assumed that Jamie Murphy would come back fit and firing and that doesn't seem to be happening at the moment. Um, either that or Gerald doesn't feel as though he's there. I don't know what which it is. I've no idea, but he's you know he's been involved quite not picked in the European squad yet at all. Not that involved so far. Um, had he came back the way he was, I would have been probably looking elsewhere. But Candace away from us now. I don't know how you guys felt, but watching the Kelly game, there was a part of me like, when you minded having him coming off the bench in this one, um, and yeah, there's a. I think there's a wee gap there. Unless Jones and Stewart prove to be better than I expect them to be. Uh, yes, a bit of negativity there. I do apologise. But uh, <laughs> unless they turn out to be better than I expect them to be, and I hope that they do, I'm, I'm willing to wait and see. Uh, I could see why. I can see why Ryan Kent's the star target for them. And if we can get him, somebody like that. Interestingly, David, you'll not. This might be the first time in a while. 
the English transfer window deadline coming up on Thursday. We've got the game on Thursday, and we don't seem particularly worried, do we, about no. losing anybody? No. Um, I, I think that there are really only two players I think would be uh, significant targets, and there doesn't appear to be uh, a big demand for them. But we will find out, obviously, um, on Thursday night if, if uh, Alfredo Morelos doesn't travel. But that is something, incidentally, that English clubs maybe means they have to move a wee bit earlier. Yeah. Um, for Alfie, that they, they, they couldn't leave it to the Thursday because you'll be in Denmark. They'll need to do it on the Wednesday. Um, if I can pick one, I'll echo Alex. I'd like a really good creative wide forward type um, to come in just because we've lost Candace, we currently have lost Kent. Um, so one more, please, just to, to balance that up. Okay, folks, that's everything from us here on Heart and Hand this week. Just time to thank our executive producers in London, Mike Lee and Paul Myers, and to thank my two guests this evening, uh, the fun bus's very own Venga boy, Mr Andy McGowan. <laughs> Thanks. Good pleasure to be on. And positivity's on Alex Staff. Thank you, gentlemen. Always a pleasure. And well done, though, with your, your anti-Jordan Jones agenda. Nearly, nearly managed to get through the show without it, but it popped out. Ah, there, so, I know, so, I know. You're I know. so close. You're <laughs> so close. Okay, folks, uh, we'll be back here next Monday. Until then, have a cracking week, and I hope your team wins. See you later. Bye. Podcast Network. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.